Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I think that's correct, but it might be wrong. What fresh hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. I'm actually bizarrely good at fencing with Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. You have a fixed (laughs) mindset about fixed mindsets. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. This is going to be the ticket out of here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about letting kids make mistakes. Letting kids make mistakes. That's positive. I mean, my kids make a lot of mistakes, so I'm sure I'm <laughs> on the right track. But before we do that, we need to open the mailbag, Amy, because okay. on our episode, Achievable Family Traditions, one of the traditions that we discussed was the burning of the Christmas tree. The fun, great, everyone knows it. It's the burning of the Christmas tree. Right. Everybody does this, apparently. Burns it on the 4th of July, I believe. Yes. We thought it sounded insane. And then we asked <laughs> everybody if they were actually doing this. Heather came back to our Facebook group at What Fresh Hell Cast and said, as requested to follow up on your questions about our 4th of July tree burning tradition, I have pictures and videos below. They live in Wisconsin. They throw the tree outside in the snowy fire pit where it stays until July and then they burn it. Okay. By then it's so dried out. It doesn't matter if it rains the day before. We also heard from Jillian who burns her Christmas tree on the 4th of July. Keep it in the backyard behind the fence until the big day. And we heard from Christina. Y'all mentioned burning Christmas trees on the 4th of July. Growing up, they did it on New Year's. The flames go crazy high. And she would like you to know, yes, she is from the South, specifically Mississippi. Very nice. A lot of people out there burning their Christmas trees, guys. Another little known tradition that has been uncovered by the What Fresh Hell podcast. I am going to see your mailbag and raise it with a mailbag response to a mailbag. That's meta. Because it's actually germane to the topic of mistake making and learning from your mistakes. Because we talked a couple of weeks ago about how it was so cold in Saskatchewan for one of our listeners that it was 40 below Celsius, which was also somehow 40 below Fahrenheit, which was making our brains explode. But also I had confirmed that that was true. So it must be true that somehow below zero Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same. And we're like, that can't be right. But that's what it said. Help. So we have a uh, Debbie is a chemical engineer at the University of Maryland. She's also a listener with the five and seven year olds at home. And she wrote in to say Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same only 
at minus 40 degrees. Right. She put a helpful chart up that you can go look up in our Facebook group. Yes. It's two axis lines that cross at 40 below, which makes a lot more sense yes. than what we were saying. And looking back, I feel that we probably should have been able to figure that out independently, but we were not. Yes. And we apologize for any confusion. That's why you need experts. All Google could get me to was that crazily, yes, they were the same. But here's one of the things about learning from mistakes that we have some science and I'll get to this, but I will never forget this, right? Like this will be trivia you and I will carry with us for the rest of our lives that there's one point at which Celsius and Fahrenheit cross and become the same in either measurement. And it is 40 below zero. Like I will have that hardwired into my hard drive forever. I hope you get to be on Jeopardy someday. This all pays off. I know. That would have to be a very specific Jeopardy question. That actually like mistakes, and we'll talk about why, are you really learn from mistakes more than the thing you knew in the first place. Sure. I mean, I think that makes sense. And I think that if you think about your own childhood, you're like, oh, yes, that mistake. Like they're seared in your memory. I recently had (laughs) a, I think it's hard. This whole topic is hard because Making our own mistakes is one thing, but letting our kids make mistakes, especially when we see the mistake coming beforehand, is so difficult. I recently had two examples with my kids. One uh, child of mine made a card for someone, and the card was, to me, it had some romantic overlays, accidentally kind of like I don't think you get that this is going to read as a romantic gesture towards someone who I'm very clear that this child does not have romantic feelings towards so it wasn't me saying like it's wrong for you to feel romantic towards that person it was I don't think you've understood that what you've created here has a kind of a strange vibe that I think the receiver is not going to receive well and then separately I had another kid who (laughs) he wanted to wear a coat to school that is a woman's coat. It's a faux fur coat, a long woman's faux fur coat. Fun fur. It's fun fur. Yeah, it's fun fur. It's not actually (laughs) fur. And this is a kid who likes to be the center of attention. And he remembered very fondly when this coat, it might have even been like in the costume bin, like it's like a ratty Cruella de Vil type coat. And he remembered very fondly having worn it to elementary school and being like the center of attention for the day. Kids are still talking about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it really rated. Yeah, I mean, like apparently like kids were acting as his bodyguards because <laughs> he had this coat. Like it was a fun day because he was like this superstar in this coat. But I think in elementary school, more the vibe of like they were protecting an animal. Like they were acting like he was actually the animal represented by the coat. Not that he was like looked cool in the coat. Yeah. And so now it's middle school. He refines the coat and he says, I want to wear this coat to school because I am going to get this reaction where everyone's going to think I'm super cool in my coat. I, as the parent, am looking at this and going, I think by middle school, you may get a very different reaction to wearing a long faux fur women's coat to school. (laughs) Probably. It will be memorable. It will be memorable. You will remember it. Yeah. But in what direction? And so I'm a little stymied because... I think saying no to him wearing the coat, I'm taking up the cause of the people I don't like in the story, which is the kids who are like, you look like a girl in that coat. Ah, Right? Yeah. So I don't want to represent those people. I also don't want to crush the kid who's like written a nice card and say like, this is not what happened, but I'll give you an example. A card of you and your friends holding hands. Like you're too old for that. The other kids are going to laugh at you if you write that down. 
It's like on The Simpsons when Ralph Wiggum sent a Valentine to Lisa Simpson that said, I choo choo choose you with a train on it. And Lisa Simpson was like, oh, like, it's just like there's too much need in this card. I can't take it. And, you know, the other kids made fun of him for having sent it. Yeah, there's just a billion examples of I don't know what to do, Amy, with the situation of if you do that really sweet thing that is extremely authentic, the other kids will make fun of you. Yeah. Like, am I supposed to tell them not to do it? I have no idea. You know, a lot of the research around kids making mistakes that I came up with for this week is around really concrete things like math problems. But I think some of it is really applicable to this larger stuff. But I want to start with this idea that part of the problem with letting our kids make mistakes is our reluctance to let it happen. Sure. Do you know who B.F. Skinner was? He was a behavioral psychologist. Never heard of the dude or the lady who actually lived in my sister-in-law's house for a little while. Like one of the most famous psychologists out there. You have a B.F. Skinner connection, Amy? Yes. Oh, my God. I am one degree separated from B.F. Skinner. Anyway, B.F. Skinner did like major behavioral studies. And if you take Psych 101, you learn about B.F. Skinner. But apparently, B.F. Skinner wanted his, you know, rats and his mazes that he was setting up. He made his mazes not too hard. Because he didn't want his rats to make mistakes because he viewed that as a a waste of time, right? I'm not going to get to my experiment fast enough. I want them to get to the cheese so I can see them go for the cheese more directly. You know, like get the rat to learn like, oh, I did something good. Now I'm going to do it good again. That it is a waste of time to have it be too hard for them and have them, you know, do this other stuff first. So he actually like prevented his mice and rats from making mistakes by keeping their mazes maybe a little easier than they needed to be. Whereas now behavior psychologists or people who work with rats would be like, no, no, no. The mistakes are the point that mistakes are actually how we learn. There are actual benefits to your brain. In a scaled way. I feel like this reminds me of we get a note home from the school that's like how to choose a just right book for your kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just right. Exactly. So like the just right book is not a book that they can read with no problems. The just right book is a book where there might be three or four words they don't know in the book that they have to ask you what they mean. Or like on the page, right? There's a number per page. Right. You don't want them reading James Joyce because they're not getting anything out of that experience. And you don't want them reading C. Jane Run because they're not getting any of that. The sweet spot is some things where they're going to not know the information. Yeah. Sound it out. Get it wrong. Right. That's where growth actually occurs. So like I got a study for you. I knew you would. Of course. Right. So this psychologist, his name is Jason Moser. He studied what happens in the brain when we make mistakes, when we make a mistake that our synapses actually like fire, like they really light up and two things happen or can happen when we make a mistake. The first one is when your brain, this happens to me, like, you know, when you go to like write a word down, like flourish, that's the word for me. Like I write it down. I'm like, that's not right. Like that can't be right. And then I write it the other way. I do that with the sometimes, but yeah, (laughs) go ahead. I'm like, the, is that a word? The, like that can't be a word. (laughs) And that's like, it's not even a mistake, but you think it's a mistake. Your brain is experiencing (laughs) a conflict between, I think that's correct, but it might be wrong. So that's called error related negativity. And that happens in our brain that your brain's like, whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't look right to me. Something's wrong here. Your brain like stops and pays a lot of attention to it. His studies showed that, You don't even have to know that it's wrong. If it is wrong, this still happens in your brain. I don't get that. 
We should have had that with our 40 below thing then. We should have had ERN going on. We did. Well, we did like that can't be right. And in fact, that was our error related negativity. That can't be right. We did. We did. That's true. Yeah. This sounds like it can't be right, but I read this, but mm, something tells me it's wrong. That was our error related negativity lighting up. And then there's a second thing that happens that's called error positivity. And that is when there's an awareness that the mistake has been made, attention is paid to that and your brain allocates sort of extra resources like that was wrong and remember that that was wrong learn from the mistake i will never again wear a lady's fake fur coat to seventh grade that was a mistake i'm not gonna do it again right like that stove was hot and it burnt me i'm never gonna forget that yeah. well, you talk about that a lot what is it that like your brain remembers negative experiences more because it has to mm. learn from bad. Like it has to learn what's bad more than it has to learn what's good. Yeah. And it's interesting. Right. And that I think that the fear of making a mistake is extremely profound. Yes. And can be all consuming. And certainly at certain parts of my life, there's my husband has it on a t-shirt and I think of it all the time. It's just such an example of like, it's a Far Side cartoon by Gary Larson. That's an old deluxe alert, by the way. Back in my day. <laughs> oh, such an old deluxe alert. But my kids are really into Far Side. If you've got kids with funny sense of humor, my kids will read the Far Side all night. Classic. And it's called like Lawrence Screws Up. And it's a kid and his thought bubble is like, don't screw up, don't screw uh. up, don't screw up. And he's holding the triangle and he doesn't have the little stick to hit it with. <laughs> or he's like maybe holding one symbol, whatever it is. It's like he's already screwed it up, you know. And I feel like the paralysis of like what mistake is out there that I don't see is and I feel I have said this before. I conquered that fear for a couple of years of my life. And then I had kids and I was right back at square one. Mm -hmm. You know, like I feel like for myself, I was kind of like, I think I get it. I think I've mastered it. I'm riding the horse. I know what I'm doing. And then I had a kid and I was like, no, no, now I'm scared of everything again. Yeah. And you remember your mistakes. Like I remember when I had my one-year-old in the high chair with the tray on, but not strapped in because I didn't want to take that 30 seconds. And then I took the tray away and I turned towards the sink to rinse off the high chair tray. And, and out went the one-year-old. This kid had been walking for, yeah, like eight hours, decided to stand up and walk out of the chair and, yeah, and hit the dining room table on the way down. I yeah. never forgot to strap them into their high chairs. After that, I learned from that mistake. I did a baby on the bed. Like I was getting dressed to go out, put my oldest on the bed and then was getting dressed and he'd never rolled over. And of course he rolled over and rolled right off the bed, hit his head against the end table going down, you know, just. Oh my gosh. I don't put babies on beds. But then the problem is like, <laughs> this is the problem with learning from mistakes, right? That everybody's had this thing. And so like a lot of us have the person in our life some people might identify it as a mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is actually really not like this at all. But who's like, you know, the baby could eat that record over there. Oh, the baby could blah, blah, blah. Oh, the baby could. And it's like, yeah, the baby could do 8 billion different. That You can't worry about all the things. Right. And it's probably not that useful to just worry about the thing you've already done, you know? Right. So you have to get more into the headspace that mistakes are not only not avoidable, and they're also actually good for you. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about growth mindset and what that means and why it's good for our kids. I'm ready. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. 
Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amy, lay it on me. What do you got? Tell me about growth mindset. I'm ready for my mindset to grow. All right. So... Carol Dweck, she's a psychologist, and she wrote a book called Mindset that was very influential. And she defined these two different mindsets that we could have. One is fixed and one is growth. So the fixed one, people who have a fixed mindset, and we all have a fixed mindset sometimes. Like the example that she gives is we have a fixed mindset that you can't jump off a cliff safely. Like that's a fixed mindset. Useful. Right. It doesn't matter how much I believe that I can do it safely. It doesn't matter if I practice by jumping off the table and the step and then two steps first. I will never train myself to be able to jump off a cliff safely. So that's a good (laughs) fixed mindset. It's a biological imperative. Lean in on that one. Yeah. Right. The things that you're pretty sure would be a bad idea for you to do are like, there's a reason that we have that mindset. But on the downside, people with a fixed mindset kind of think you either have it or you don't, right? You're either capable of something or you're not. And that if you make a mistake, you're not good at something. Like I just tried ice skating last week with my kids for the first time in, I don't know, 20 years. (laughs) And I'm terrible at it, right? It took me like, I managed not to fall, although some would say like, that's not like, don't be so proud of that. You got to fall to get better, right? But like I managed to get creak all the way around the outside of the rink, not holding on, but like barely moving with my skates and got all the way around. It took me like 10 minutes to get around the rink once. And I'm like, I'm good. Did it. Tried it. But I mean, you don't need a growth mindset around that. That's fine. It's fine to be like at my age, taking up ice skating is not. (laughs) I mean, I love Zelda Fitzgerald and the whole Fitzgerald, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife. Like it was a big part of my personal mythos for a while. And 
she decided to become a professional ballerina, I believe in her either late 20s or early 30s. And she went insane trying to do it because it's like, yeah, she got a wrong fixed mindset, which is like, I can become a prima ballerina, (laughs) even though I'm way too old to start, you know, like, yeah, I think it's okay to have a fixed mindset about ice skating. Yeah. But I was trying to sort of display for my kids, like we try new things and it's okay if we're not good at them right away because you want your kid to have a growth mindset, which is like, yeah, I'm going to fall when I ice skate the first time I do it because I need to work harder to learn how to do it. It's not a sign that I should stop or a sign like, do you remember Don Music on Sesame Street? Do you remember that Muppet? Old school. He was the composer who would be trying to write. I thought that was Dr. Teeth. No, Dr. Teeth's a Muppet show. Don Music was on Sesame Street and, and Kermit would be going like live to his studio to interview Don Music. And he'd be like, Mary had a little. And then he'd say, oh, I'll never get it. And he'd bang his head on the piano. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is coming back to me. That was Don Music. And my brother used to have to hide behind the couch when Don Music came on. He didn't like the guy who banged his head on the piano. But he was he had a fixed mindset. But like, I will never get this. And Kermit would always sort of talk him through it. And they'd end up coming up with like some like totally alternate. Mary had a bicycle was what they ended up with instead of Mary had a little lamb. But he stopped right away. I'm totally down with the idea of fixed mindset and growth mindset. But I am going to need some convincing that you have a lot of control over whether or not you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. So having a fixed mindset, you have a fixed (laughs) mindset about fixed mindsets. (laughs) I do, I think. I mean, I have three kids and I have a kid who has a very fixed mindset and I have a kid who has a super growth mindset and I have a kid in the middle. Yeah. So I'm a little unclear about whether or not we have a lot of control over whether or not our kids. This is the kind of thing that I read in a book and I'm like, yeah, it's interesting to me, but I don't know. Like, can I help my kid with a fixed mindset have more of a growth mindset? Yes, I think you can. Okay. I'm interested in that. So that like, and should we, like, I think having a growth mindset is probably a key to a more, uh, I don't want to say a happier life, but a more like optimistic life, being, being more open to new adventures and trying new things and not being so like locked down for fear of making mistakes. Speaking as somebody who kind of is that person, right? Like if I'm not good at something pretty quickly, then I'm just like, well, I just I don't do that. I'm not a nice skater. I don't give things a lot of chance to develop because I want to be good at something. I don't want to get good at something. Well, I agree with that. I was a skier as a kid. We went, we were a ski family, did a lot of skiing. And then snowboards came out maybe when I was in college and I went to go learn to snowboard and I stunk and I was like getting slammed against the hill. And I remember thinking like, I'm not interested in learning something new. I'm really good at skiing. It's fine. I'll just be a skier. And I don't know. I think there's a realist in there too, somewhere. That's all. The the growth mindset, I get it. But I also think the the growth mindset can be a tilting at windmills person who is Zelda Fitzgeralding through life. You know, like one is not good and one is not bad. Sure. It's just helping people find the right one, I guess, for the situation. Like, I don't think you should take up ice skating. That sounds insane to me. You're going to break something, Amy. Get off those ice skates. Right. I'm too old for ice skating. And you can get through life without snowboarding. Like That's definitely like an opt-in or opt-out. Like, I'll never be a cliff diver or whatever. Yes. But it's when it comes to school, that's where you can see that like a growth mindset is something to be sort of cultivated in our kids. So Carol Dweck gives this example that really sort of, I think, brings it into play. She says, there's this high school in Chicago. She doesn't name the high school. I tried to figure out where it was, where you have to pass certain classes, you know, in order to go to the next grade, the next level, however they're doing it. And your grade is either pass, you go to the next level, or not yet. 
They don't fail you. It just says not yet because their point of view is that telling your kid, you just haven't learned this yet. You're not ready to go to Chinese 2 yet because you haven't learned what you needed to learn in Chinese 1. It helps the kid understand that they're on a learning curve. It gives them a path. It helps them understand that they're on a path and that there is nothing wrong with being where they are. It would make them much less likely to to give up. You know, I have a family member who had an undiagnosed learning disorder. And that long ago child was in a school with a pretty fixed mindset, right? And so that child went on to be an adult with a pretty fixed mindset that they weren't good at things, that they weren't that smart. And a growth mindset applied to that kid a long time ago would have been a much better outcome. So I think our kids are better off now that we live in a time where we can encourage kids to keep trying rather than this is for you and this isn't. But I guess I can see the limits to it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that certain kids are at different places in that curve and you know how you adapt i'm thinking of an example my i have a kid who's really athletic and just naturally good at stuff try stuff and is just i don't know he's a naturally what is that word like it's not athletic he's just good in his body like if he tries something he can get the hang of it pretty quickly generally he got it's like laser tag but it's swords so you have to touch the thing on your chest and like the boys were sword fighting you know and they were hitting each other. Like fencing almost? It's like fencing. Yeah. Like you wear a target on your chest and then the sword has a tip on it. And so when you tag each other and they were having a lot of fun with it and mostly just we'd watch Pirates of the Caribbean. It's mostly like them running on the beds. You know, it was mostly the showing off what good sword fighters they were having. They weren't really doing it. <laughs> it's brandishing them. And then I started doing playing against my son and I took fencing for several semesters in college. So I'm actually bizarrely good at fencing, like strange skill that I have. And I was just killing him. Like I just kept touching the thing on his chest. And he was, I was taking it slow and actually using fencing techniques and knocking his sword to the side and then hitting him in the chest. And he's like, I don't want to play with you. I like to play with people who are not good. (laughs) You know, he's like, basically, I want to win, you know? And I was kind of laughing at like, right, he doesn't want to do it because he's losing to me, you know, but I think that both of us need to adjust a little bit there, right? Like I need to be just right against him. Like I need to make him feel like there's a chance for him to ever hit me, which by the way, there's not because I'm much better than him (laughs) and he needs to stay with it and try to get better. Yes. It's just right. I think is the thing in this growth mindset thing. Yes, yes. And you want him to get better, especially if he wants to, right? It isn't that important to you if your kid is good at laser fencing. No, it's the most important thing in my life, Amy. (laughs) There's a real lane for college scholarship money. Listen, this is going to be the ticket out of here. But if it's important to him that he get good at it, if he gets joy out of it, you want him to keep getting joy out of it and not, you know, say the stupid thing and throw it down and never touch it again. But yeah, the wrong way to do that is to just let him win every time, right? He's not a two-year-old playing Candyland, he needs the challenge in order to continue to grow. Yeah. And I think for me also, and this is something that people disagree about. This is like, do you let your kids win at board games? You know? And I know people in my life whose parenting ethos is like, I crush my children at all games until they eventually overtake the master. You know, like I know people playing even like Candylands against a kid. They're like, oh, your strategy was bad. I beat you. You know, they play to win. And I think I'm just more of the mindset that like I play at your level slightly to challenge you, you know, 
But there's lots of, especially dudes, I feel like, who have that mindset of like, you can have the crown when you can take it from the master, you know? I used to play Candyland with my goddaughter and it was like counting cards. Like her parents were like, no, 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 she is to get who's like the gumdrop princess. Oh, God. Yes. That you have to plant it, like count back like one, two, three. So like the 14th card is Princess Thumbelina. Oh, believe me, I played a lot of, you know, I was a fast dealer with Candyland because I'm like, no, we're not going back to the beginning. Yeah. No, you're not getting stuck in the swamp again. <laughs> like I would just flip them over, put them in the deck. I mean, I was a card shark at that Candyland so that the game would end. Yeah, be right. Because you, what her parents didn't want to deal with was, you know, the tears and quivering lip if you got the gundrop princess, we know whatever it meant. And it doesn't really matter. This kid is now an adult. She's in her 20s now and, you know, managed to achieve... And she's just stuck in a swamp 24 hours a day. It didn't work out for her. Say protecting her from the pain of losing Candyland as a toddler did not prevent her from achieving great things as a young adult. But at some point, yeah, we need to stop smoothing the path because that's where the opportunity for growth occurs. Can I give you an example from my own parenting that occurs to me? Sure. One of my teenage boys when he was, mm, I'm going to say like seven or eight, used to ride a bus to day camp with a bunch of other kids. You know, they'd make a bunch of stops and pick a bunch of kids and they would play games on the bus or whatever. One day we were at a park and my husband was throwing a football to my son and like yelling his name and stuff. This other dad comes over and says, did I just hear you say your son's name is blank? And I'll just say here that when you give your kids unusual names, there's a little, the plausible deniability kind of goes away, right? These days when it's not Billy Bobby... Ricky and Mike, when there's like, yeah, that's our kid's name. And he's the only one around. He's like, yeah. So your kid taught my kid to curse on the bus to take camp. Like his, oh my. So this girl was four. My son was, you know, eight or so and had been apparently teaching her a choice word or two on the bus to take camp. So we talked to our child about this. Weird flex on the dad, though, to just like interrupt the football game with that info. Well, he, my spouse said he kind of felt like this was very much like a hostage situation where it was like, go over there and tell that, you know, that kind of thing that this dad was sort of like, uh, so your kid kind of did this thing, was a little bit embarrassed about it. So, yes, our kid did it. Our child fessed up. I was able to ascertain from the camp where these people lived and had my child write a letter of apology, marched my kid over there, knocked on the door. And the other mom opened the door and, you know, was just sort of like, who just knocks on somebody's door in the middle of the day these days, right? Like, it doesn't happen that much. Nobody. Please never do that to me. And <laughs> so, opened the door. I'm like, hello. Like, I'm, I'm Amy. This is my son. He has something he wants to say. And we had rehearsed it on the way over because he was mortified. And he's like, you know, I'm very sorry for what I did. And here's this letter. And I felt like this mother, I have to say this stranger, like I could have gone a lot of ways, right? Had I been on the other end of that door, I probably would have been like, oh, honey, thank you. Don't worry about it. Thank you so much. Oh, that's so nice of you. I probably would have said that. This mom was a little more like, well, thank you. I appreciate your letter and I look forward to reading it. And I, uh, I really appreciate that you took the time to apologize. And I hope you have a nice afternoon and closed the door and was like, nice, but not that nice. You know what I mean? And it was... At the moment, I was a little bit like, whoa, like this kid just really left his comfort zone, like meet him halfway a little bit. But I think she kind of met him like 35% of the way. And I think it was the right thing to do to not protect him from the consequences of his action too much. 
And he never did it again. I mean, that story's bonkers in 86 different ways, Amy. I love it. (laughs) But like that, I don't know. That's a wacky story. But I get the overall picture. I feel like everyone in that story behaved horribly, including your cursing kid. But like I'm kind of hashtag team cursing kid at the end of that story. But I think the if you're not going to learn a curse on the bus to day camp, I don't know where you are going to learn. I feel like it's a little tweet tweet. Like, all right, your kid learned some bad words. Like, well, the kid was four. I would have a part time if my kid was four. But yes, go on. Wait, how old was your kid? Eight, maybe. All right, maybe. It all seems a little tweet tweet to me, the whole story. All right. But I will say that I agree that helping your kid navigate their way out of a mistake is the key to that story, that you helped him face it and find his way out. Everyone else in that story to me is bonkers. We'll be right back. (laughs) Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And now, what type of quarantine mom are you? From the What Fresh Hell podcast. The Yeller. Get this stuff Off the staircase! Move it, kids! Zoom class is starting in five minutes! Who left this fork in the sink? Has anyone seen my phone? The Over It Mom. You know what, guys? For homeschooling today, let's just watch a documentary. Yeah, I guess YouTube videos of surfing dogs count as a documentary, right? The Socializer. Okay, so we'll meet at 2 o'clock at the parking lot by the high school track, and then you'll sit in the back of your car, and then I'll sit in the back of my car, and we'll scream back and forth to each other while we eat trail mix. The multitasker. 
I think if you look at these spreadsheets, you'll clearly see that the quarterly processing implementation is off to a strong start. Could you hold on for a moment? I have to stir these sloppy joes. The trying to keep perspective, mom. So guys, there's a pandemic going on, but the thing is, we are lucky to all be home together. And even if the schools don't reopen, I'm here to help you learn. And sure, not seeing our friends is hard, but we are so very blessed to have each other. And I mean, yeah, this could last like another year, but we just need to stay positive. Mommy has a little headache. I think I need to go lay down. This has been What Type of Quarantine Mom Are You? From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Okay, so mistakes. I think that we're coming to your kids have really different starting points. I have kids, as I've said, who are, you know, pretty rigid and really anxious. And I think that like the rigidity and the lack of growth mindset, it causes a lot of anxiety. Yes, yes, you're right. So the presenting the idea that like, listen, you're not going to do everything perfectly. I don't do everything perfectly. But my kid who has the most rigid mindset is the kid who gets most anxious and upset to think they've made a mistake. Like they're kind of just locked down on all levels. So what we try to work on is role playing stuff beforehand, like what will go right, what will go wrong, and just trying to constantly revisit the idea that like everyone makes mistakes you know, this kid, when they make a mistake, their reaction is like, I'm a horrible person and I did it terribly wrong and I nothing ever goes right for me. And it kind of spirals badly, you know, fixed mindset. Yeah. But that's a fixed mindset that I don't think I have a tremendous amount of power over. You know what I mean? This is a kid who naturally tends towards a growth mindset. I mean, this is a kid who naturally tends towards a very fixed mindset. Yes. I have another kid who has a total growth mindset. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I love being weird. And this kid does act pretty weird, but it's kind of part of their persona. And it's fine. Like, they roll that way. And I think it's easier to be the kid with the growth mindset. I see it. I get it. But in looking at it, I don't think I parent them that differently. I think they just naturally have very different starting points. Yeah, I think you can sort of nudge towards, I think the place to start it really is at school, right? With the wrong answer on a test, not like I have, you know, made the wrong overture in this friendship by sending the wrong greeting card or whatever. But you can help kids understand wrong answers as an opportunity for growth. And I think this can happen at school, but also at home, not something to feel bad about. There's, I have another study for you here. Robert Siegler, another psychologist, he worked with third and fourth graders, and he proved in his study that getting these third and fourth graders, again, in a math class, we keep going to math class here because I guess like right and wrong answers are very discreet, right? There's no gray area. Right. It's objective. Right. Right. So he found that third and fourth grade students learned math much more quickly, learned the concepts when they had to explain how somebody else in their class got the wrong answer, and then how to get the right answer. Not this is wrong and this is how you do it, but this is wrong and this is how they got to the wrong. And then this is, now this is how we get to the right. Mm, this is all the new math, which is driving me crazy as a parent. I'm like, you just carry the one, you know, because you carry the one. It doesn't matter why. Right. They want them to have this whole number sense that like numbers are building blocks of these bigger things. And I see where in the long run it makes it easier. But man alive, I was doing an exercise with my kid yesterday that was like 39 times 11. You want to do 
it 40 times 11 minus one times 11. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can we just figure out 39 times 11? But I think that's growth mindset that they're basically trying to teach them that like you have a full understanding of numbers. You understand why something is right and why something is wrong. You're not just like, is this the right answer? And the new math occurs to me also is like, you can do it this way. You can do it 40 times 11 right. minus 11, or you can chunk it, or you can do like, I don't even know half the things that they do, but, but there's more than one way to skin a cat and more than one way to get to the right answer. And you can try a bunch of things. And getting a wrong answer first is just a step on the way to the right answer. It isn't now you'll never get the right answer. No, you're just, you know, this is, it's the not yet thing. You're not at the right answer yet. Let's go back and figure out what happened. I think it's easier for us, right? Like the first step to letting kids make mistakes is us being okay with letting our kid have the discomfort, the failure, the wrong overture in the friendship, the letter they have to write to somebody else's mom. We have to be okay with those things happening for them, which I think we can be once we understand that they're good for their brains, they're good for their development, right? Yes. Yeah. That's um, Gift of Failure, Jess Leahy's book is all about this, right? Like give them the gift of running up against walls because if you're constantly snow plowing things for them and making sure that the path is always clear, but within that, I think both of us come out, or I certainly come out on the side of like, within reason, it's also fine to move the cards around so she gets the princess thing because that bothers her. It's also fine for your kid to hide behind the couch when musical Bob is on or whatever the guy's name is, like, <laughs> because that's his weird quirk. You know, it's also, you don't have to like march him and be like, you will sit down and watch musical Bob bang his head because, you know, <laughs> I think it's the gift of failure with a lot of grace. That's sort of where my middle ground turns out to be. And that I'm all for letting kids make mistakes. And I think with kids who do, I think the construct of the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset is also a really good way to think about your kids. Because I know for myself, constantly harping on my fixer mindset guy about how he needs to be more growth or mindset is not that helpful. <laughs> because right. we all know people and they're just black and white thinkers. You know, there's right and there's wrong. And they just people who really are comfortable in that gray space. And they're, that's a different set point. And so one of the things I find I say to my fixed mindset guy often is this is really hard for you. Having a teacher, for example, who's like, you will get points off if you don't put the date in exactly this format. I know that's going to be really hard for my guy. Like he's then going to fixate on like, I'm worried about points off on this or that. And I'm like, yeah, that's just hard for you, but let's try to set up a system and make it work. And working backwards from there, but not worrying so much about magically making him into a growth mindset kid. Not going to happen. Yeah. You can create in your house a mistake-friendly environment. Yes. Like that sounds like a teacher with a fixed mindset, right? Like the date needs to be in the paper. I mean, I have a kid who often forgets to put their name at the top of the paper. And there are teachers who, you know, in the school history who have taken two points off for that. And there are teachers who just write the name in every time. And right. the goal is to get the kid to remember to write their name at the top of the paper, right? Like for a kid like that, getting the two points off is a lot of shame and attack on their fixed mindset without, mm, I don't know, like it doesn't help them remember the next time. But a mistake-friendly environment might. I'm going to give you an example of, so I teach public speaking. And one of the things that we do, I often teach it to people who have no public speaking experience. They've never spoken in public before at all. And so one of the first exercises we do is 
called expert speaker and you speak as if you are an expert and it's a ridiculous topic like vegetation on Mars, Amy, that's your topic. You're going to talk about it (laughs) and you're going to be like, yes, you know, on Mars, there are these beautiful flowers. They're called Mars flowers and you're making up everything you say. But the key of the game, the thing that makes the game work is that you cannot say anything wrong there. You are the expert in this thing. So if I'm like, you're the expert in blue whales and you're like blue whales live in bathtubs and they like to drink soda and whatever anything you say about them is correct you can't make a mistake and what you see is that it really frees people and sometimes they speak in front of a group you know we're a small group in a classroom not a on a stage they speak for the first time in their lives with a certain degree of confidence and it helps them find the confidence like I think that idea of setting up a mistake free, this is the, we both come from an improv background. No mistakes is the key word for improv. So if Amy says like, this is a box of penguins and you said, oh, it's a box of flowers, then I have to say, oh my God, it's crazy how the flowers keep turning into penguins. And that becomes what the sketch is about. Because if you're like, no, no, Amy, you went, let me, everything stops once you start saying no to people. It's a classic improv rule. But I think that can be a really good approach with kids is like, try it here. This is your giving kids a safe space in which to make mistakes. It helps them grow and it helps them find that confidence so that later when they're in an, you know, all of these people in my public speaking class are going to be in situations where they aren't just speaking extemporaneously and they can make mistakes. But it's like, you have that tool in your tool belt of confidence speaking, and now you can apply it to other situations. Mm hmm. Right. And it gives them the idea that like, gee, maybe I could become an expert on something. I just would have to explore what it was. And this is something that's possible for me. It moves them from I could never do this to I could maybe do this. Yeah. It's like trying on a coat to see if it fits. It's like it doesn't it's not right for every occasion, but it fits in some situations. And I think for my fixed mindset guy, that is the key is like, try it. You know, it's safe to try it with us. It's okay to, you know, be yourself and try things and get them wrong. And he's a kid who he's got a lot of stick-to-itiveness. So like, you know, and not a lot of natural skills. Like my other kid, I was saying like, he's good in his body. Everything he tries is good at this kid. Everything he tries at is hard, (laughs) you know? But the fact is like, okay, this summer we tried water skiing, you know? And like, I was like, oh, there's no way he's ever going to be able to do it. He's just a, a hot mess, you know? He tried it 20 times and like it took the other kids three times, took him 20, but like there he was water skiing at the end of it. And that helps the fixed mindset, which is, you know, we are a safe place to try. That's a revelation for me in talking about this. Like, oh, I think the key is allowing them to make mistakes. Yes, but allowing them a lot of safety at home to try the skills, you know, giving them both the gift of failure and the gift of success, it seems to me. Carol Dweck would say that you need to praise their strategies and their stick-to-itiveness, as you said, their improvements, their efforts. Like That's how you create or encourage growth mindset in your kids is to praise the effort, not the outcome. That's very meaningful to me. And that's something, I mean, I grew up in a family where there were three incredibly good students and then there was myself, you know? And <laughs> I mean, my parents handled it well, but like, I definitely have a little bit of that, like, I was the bad kid because I wasn't as good. It didn't come naturally to me, you know? And I do think there's something, I'm all for setting a bar and having kids try to jump over it, no matter what their starting point is. But I think praising the effort is a really good, and my parents were pretty good at that. They were always like, oh yeah, you know, you tried really hard at that. 
I think that your kid who needed 20 times water skiing before he was able to get up, right? Like, let's say 15 of those first 19 times were useful. Like, they made the 20th possible. The mistakes that you make, like, oh, you can't let go until, oh, now I get it. Oh, you don't lock your knees. You bend your knees. That's it. You have to do it with your knees locked and fail a couple times to understand, oh, no, now I see it. You have to keep your knees bent and you're moving towards success by living with the mistakes. Like, mistakes are how our kids will learn and grow, but only if they're allowed to make them. And that's what I feel like I'm realizing in talking about it on this episode is that it doesn't matter if they have fixed mindset or a growth mindset, you need to put in their path opportunities for growth, you know, and that it may be harder for a kid with a fixed mindset. There's no box in your closet called growth mindset that you're going to open and hand to your kid. Mm, Yeah. But you're going to offer the opportunity for growth by keeping them in situations where they can safely fail and that they're at their just right level. And you're going to keep pushing that just right right, a little higher. You're always going to make sure that they're not understanding every word in the book. And you're going to help them calibrate that. And then the growth is always going to come in like figuring out those couple of words that are too hard. The just right level includes some mistakes and a little bit of failure, doesn't it? It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Got to. Amy, solved it. Nailed it. Solved it. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot researching this one. I thought I had a lot to learn from this. I liked it. Good research. This always good research, Amy. Thanks. Always. I'm giving you a growth mindset by complimenting you for your great effort. Did you guys know we have a bookstore on Bookshop? You can find the link on our website, wetfreshhealthpodcast.com. We have links to all the books from all the experts we've ever had in the show and also just books that you and I like. I'm going to put mindset on the list. Some books that we love. Very helpful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Growth mindset. Put it on there. Friends, you can always find us on social everywhere. Just Google What Fresh Hell Podcast. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're everywhere. Find us. Talk to us. And we will talk to you next week. Talk to you then. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.